This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt Cholly. coming up on today's episode no pmqs unpacked because mps aren't there so we've got pmqs packed up Patrick Maguire and I take a look back over a year of PMQs, the highs, mostly lows, of the regular clashes between Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson. So that's coming up in just a moment. As first as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Now, I normally introduce you as a crampon, but for some time now, Alice has been raising questions about <coughs> that as a name. But here is a gift for you. We're talking Christmas gifts. Here's a gift for you. James has been in touch saying, um, thank you for such a reliably entertaining and informative Redbox podcast. I mean, it's not for me to, to read out praise. He goes on, <laughs> a suggestion for a better portmanteau for Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. How about Alibert? <laughs> Alibert. I think that Alibert. sounds like an upmarket fish, actually. That's yeah. Quite... I Do like... you think? Yeah, I like well, it. Well, that's all right. Anything's but, uh, better than Alice is upmarket and Robert's a bit fishy. <laughs> Put it together. <laughs> <laughs> Alibert. So Alibert it is then. Alibert it is then. We'll get the jingle made up for in the new year. Uh, very good. Well, thank you for that, James. And thank you for listening to the, to the, the podcast or however, you've, uh, however you listen to us. Right. Um, let's talk about Boris Johnson. Oh, right. um, some really interesting uh, polling today. Some new, a YouGov uh, poll uh, for The Times. They do every week for us, I think it is, um, uh, which shows that Boris Johnson's polling is back to where it was uh, in the depths of 2019 when he... Um, prorogued Parliament. The Tories were at their lowest level since then. Uh-huh. Some of his personal ratings now are on a par with uh, Theresa May in the week or two before she was ousted from number 10. Although our colleague uh, Danny Finkstein has written in the Times today about how it's quite difficult yeah. to uh, mm. remove Boris Johnson. So are they, are they just stuck with him, Alice? Well, actually, I thought Danny's was a really interesting piece because he talked about how, you know, 
only Theresa May and Margaret Thatcher had ever been pushed out by the Tories. But on the other hand, they are quite recent. And I think the Tories have got more and more ruthless. And they pushed out quite a lot of people who were leaders but never became prime ministers. Mm. And if they think they're not going to win and if they think their seats are going to go, they will just get rid of him. And that's how they operate. And that's why they've been so successful in many ways. They absolutely want to win beyond anything else, the Tories. Much more, I've always thought, than Labour. So if they think that Boris Johnson's going to lose in their seat, he will go in the next year. And that's how it will be. It won't be anymore. You know, the wine and cheese and all that will be only if it if it threatens their seat. So it's not playing in their constituencies. They won't care. And so it's not really for him. It's not an ideological issue. It's much more of an issue of, of, of how it's playing out in the Tory party. And I think he's been quite clever trying to wrap around people like Rishi Sunak and Liz but Trust. But I think... Actually, in the end, it's going to be what the backbenchers think of him. And they don't think also what Danny says, but doesn't actually think is a problem. But it's you can actually be anonymous when you put in your vote yeah. in the prime minister. And that's much more dodgy in the Tory party. Because if you're anonymous, as we all know, it's much, much easier to say things than if you've got to come up and fess up and say that you don't like someone. Although Danny does make the point that you could, he could, you could get the 55 uh, anonymous letters. But that, doesn't, that isn't the same as saying that he'd actually lose a no confidence vote. For yes. which is what happened to which is what happened to yeah. Theresa May. Yeah, which is she for had no confidence vote. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what three years ago? This yeah. Christmas mm. it was just in the run up to Christmas, wasn't it? And um, he advances and, various yeah. persuasive arguments, I think, as to why Johnson might win it, even though there isn't actually any confidence in him. He might not <laughs> lose a vote of no confidence. And he might do yeah. okay with the virus. I mean, if he, if we get mm. sort of booster campaigns worked, and if the virus. Um, the new Omicron recedes, he might get some of the benefit from that, which is rather extraordinary in a way. But, you know, he is very much tied in now to the whole pandemic. And so that will change. But, I mean, the fact that we've got a stop on Christmas means mm. that they can't plot anymore, the MPs in Parliament. They'll all be going back home and then they'll get involved in the Christmas kind of non... Yeah. He what was, are we going to do? Yeah, he was limping along to Christmas and it looks like he's kind mm. of just about got there. But I think what you were saying about the cheese and wine playing in the constituencies, I mean, obviously we saw in Shropshire that it, that it is doing... Uh, mm. And, yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, politicians are usually brought low by sex or drugs and but cheese boards. Cheese, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, the man's a slave to a cheese board. Yeah. I mean, when, well, I think he when, probably got COVID so bad when, because he had too much cheese too. Well, he said he? that. He said that when he was, said he was 16 and a half stone or whatever and he admitted to being overweight. And the main cause, I think, was a cheese board. And, and I mean, it's... I thought wine and cheese was very much a 70s thing. It's, made, it's obviously made a comeback. And... Boris is more or less. I mean, I have, I have many. I have many differences with the prime minister, but I'm not going to criticise him for enjoying. Um, no, it's really nice. Board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't see Boris with cottage cheese, can you? It's got no. to be the full on. I mean, yeah. I can't. I can't yeah. quite see him cutting back. Yeah. And it's it's a full it's a full wheel wheel of brie. Oh, absolutely groaning, than groaning, rather than just a groaning yeah. with cheese, groaning and what, crackers. What, what about? Cause <laughs> I know particularly um, in the run up to the 2019 election, you spent time going around uh, what was the red wall and yes. large parts of it then became the blue wall. Yeah. And obviously, part a sort of knock-on consequence of the last uh, two years and the pandemic has meant that those what was it 109 new Tory MPs yeah. haven't been bound into, as we've seen, things like just vote the way you tell you. Uh, well, no, you 20, 26 of them rebelled uh, uh, last week, didn't uh, they, I think, and all of that. Yeah. And so, um, and another thing they've probably not been bound into is you don't change your leader in the middle of. All of it, you know. I just think that the, yeah. the, the grip that Number Ten has, I like drip, schooling this. I mean, they make up what a third of the parliamentary party. Yes. Schooling this new bunch of MPs in this is how we do things. Yes, and you know, they're they both, just might think, and they're both Northerners. Mitt, 
Exactly, but <laughs> midterm blues is a normal thing, but they've yeah. never experienced that before. Um, getting a load of grief for stuff they haven't done is a new thing. Yeah. Voting for stuff they don't agree with is a new thing. Yeah. And so maybe sticking in a letter of no confidence might be a new thing that they might want to might want to try. I just think that yeah, they might. And as Al- and, conventions don't hold. Yeah, and as Alice points out, those although there's, I think, as Danny says, there's only been two out of twenty four prime ministers since nineteen hundred forced out whilst in office. Uh, one was in nineteen ninety, and one was three years ago, uh, two years ago. Uh, or three years ago, I can't remember, uh, Theresa May. So it might be that I just as our attention spans are supposedly getting shorter, uh, we, yeah. you know, we do, we want, uh, we, we, you know, we, people are more, like you say, they're new people they're, uh, and they're more prepared to do things that wouldn't normally be done. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good, I think that's a good point. They might well, they might well go for it. But as, I, as returning to Danny's point, uh, there are compelling reasons not least the timing uh, and the nature of coups and how the risk is, uh, the reward is spread evenly, but the risk is uh, borne by the plotters, as to which, which militate against uh, successful coups. And does it, do you think it requires, um, Alice, somebody to, to, to senior to sort of wield the knife? Do we need a... Who is the Heseltine? Uh, we got in a pickle earlier mm. in the week when we were talking about who is the John Redwoods because as somebody pointed out, those rules don't apply anymore mm. if we put up or shut up. But is there a Heseltine? Do, do we need Well, a that's the problem because Heseltine's just never made it. So there are quite a lot of the ones we know, like Michael Portillo or Heseltine or yeah. anyone who put in. I mean, in those days, God, it was the landlines, wasn't it, that went in so that you knew that they were plotting. <laughs> I think now that, that, that people do still worry about that. They don't want to be the one that says it. Yeah, he, what is it, he who wields the axe doesn't get to wear the crown or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that, I mean, that is the, that's their nervousness. So I think that's what may prevent them from doing it. On yeah. the other hand, I now look at them and think, you know, people like Rishi Sunak is definitely marshalling his you know, troops, Looks as like is it. this, yeah. as Truss, as, you know. I mean, quite a few of them now really do think they may have a chance, Jeremy Hunt, and that does become more yeah. more dangerous because once you've, all the conversation turns to who are we going to back, yeah. um, you begin to lose the plot really, and then it just all unravels that you know they're not they're not focusing on you anymore, and I think that is an issue actually. But who knows? January might bring some good news with the pandemic, and then it's all it's all changes again. Go again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't know, do you? I mean, like I think was it? I don't know. I didn't hear all of the Blair thing. I heard a bit of it in the lift coming up to the studio. And he was basically saying the one thing that this pandemic's taught us is that all bets are off. You can't you can't plan ahead. So it's possible that if we get through the next couple of weeks and things start to pick up, I mean, and the and the and the, and the, the wave isn't as bad as we think, then Boris jo- gets jo- the credit. Johnson, well, or, or just gets the benefit, not necessarily the mm. credit, but gets the benefit of people uh, feeling a bit more optimistic. Maybe well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Possibly, possibly. We'll see yeah. how that. We'll see how that. Um, uh, we'll see how that pans out. I want to talk to you about offence, not because I want to cause mm. you any offence. No. Uh, but there were two things in the paper today uh, about offence. Priti Patel's going to warn police to do more to protect freedom of speech after judges ruled that recording non-crime hate incidents risked interfering with people's right to express their opinions. And then uh, on the show, in fact, it's on the show tomorrow, but for for reasons, uh, the story ran in the Times today, uh, which is why we're talking about it. But on the show tomorrow. Uh, I've, uh, we're going to hear from Armando Iannucci, obviously creator of The Thick of It and Veep and all of that. And I asked him about uh, this idea of, you know, people being constantly offended. Let's take a listen. With each project, I thought, tell myself, where is the line? You know, where roughly, where do you feel you're stepping over the mark? And every now and then, do it anyway, just to see 
yeah. what happens. But I don't set, I, I don't write anything setting out to annoy people or offend people. I just, you know, my sense of what personally I find funny tends to circulate around either embarrassment or awkwardness. I also do think what's wrong with being offended. You know, it, yeah. it's good to be offended because it, it tests, it tests your own beliefs. There we are. Alison Bob, is it good to be offended? Well, my oh. view is actually the police are spending way too much time having to do this. And that mm. I think actually Pretty Patel, the bit I like about Pretty Patel's point is that we don't need the police to police us. We should be doing this ourselves. And yeah. as Armando said, actually, you know, people are going to step out of line every now and again. And it's in a kind of way, it's quite teenagery, although they're the ones <laughs> sort of monitoring everyone. It's that sense of how far can I push it? So I find now that it's my friends who are slightly pushing it and my children who are going, watch it. Yes. And, and I find that really weird that they're going, and even with COVID, they're like sticking rigorously yeah. to the 10 days. Don't leave their bedroom. And then it's the older generation who are just like, yeah. oh God, I'm not sure I can face doing a lateral flow because then I'll know yeah. if I've got COVID or not. And I'm like, really? And so I think yeah, there is that weirdness. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? I, uh, I think the guy, is it Henry Miller, who's from, uh, he's my part of the world in East Yorkshire, the guy who brought the case, uh, put it very well. It, is, it should not ever be an offence to be offensive. That's what he said outside the appeal court. Yeah. And he's right. I mean, whatever you say about the nature of offence, it's not a police matter, is it? Uh, we can talk all day about people, what offends people and whether it's good to be offended. I mean, obviously, if you just say to somebody, you're fat and ugly, that is not very nice and it's not, and it's not good for them in any way. In other sense, in another sense, say I disagree with your opinion and I think you're an idiot is fine, and yet that tests your opinions. But it's not yeah. a police; it's not for the police to say. I mean, the fact that the uh, youngsters—I mean, I take Alice's point—are much more uh, uh, wary of the, uh, following the rules and so on is is a kind of, I think, is a is a rather sad thing and shows the dangers of living in a society where somebody's. I mean the 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 the, the idea that well, well, some... I'm going to have to offend yeah. you and no. interrupt you. I'm Fine. afraid because no we've problem. run out of time. Oh no! There's no no offense intended. Please no don't problem. Arrest me. I won't bear um, it again. I won't. I won't hold it against you for more than a couple of decades. Robert Crampton, Alice Thompson, then of course you can read them in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Box. Next though, it's PMQs packed up. 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yes, so no actual PMQs today because all the MPs are on their uh, Christmas recess and they've not been recalled to vote on a lockdown. So what we thought we'd do instead is PMQs packed up. Patrick Maguire, Times Redbox editors here. Hi, Patrick. Good afternoon, Matt. How are you? Merry Christmas. I'm all right. A Merry Christmas to you too. We are going to try and look for the highlights of uh, PMQs over the last year. If anyone can think of one and wants to get in touch, do get in touch in the usual way. Text me 87222, start your message the word Times. You can tweet me at Times Radio. Uh, if any particularly memorable p- bits of PMQs uh, from this year. Um, uh, Patrick, let's just get stuck into some of the bits that we've picked out of just... Things what happened, highlights or lowlights, others can decide. But one of the things that, once again, we definitely didn't expect to be here this time last Christmas, was the uh, the fact that the, st- for large parts of this year, we've still been having Christmas via, um, PMQs via Zoom. Maybe we'll be back there uh, by uh, the new year, too. Uh, and that you tend to end up with some technical difficulties. This was uh, what happened back in July when uh, Sajid Javid got COVID for, for about 10 seconds, Boris Johnson and uh, uh, Rishi Sunak tried to get out of going into isolation using some special scheme before realising actually they couldn't do that. Boris Johnson ends up having to do PMQs uh, over Zoom and it didn't go very well. Simultaneously, Mr Speaker, uh, attack... Sorry, the- Prime Minister. Some pl- and, and Wait, Paul- Prime Minister, just a moment. We're really struggling on the sound level. I don't know whether we can actually have the sound level turned up to hear the Prime Minister. Oh, I'm sorry. OK. Prime, if you... Thank you, Prime Minister. Otherwise, you've got a great standing who's quite desperate. But I want to hear this, Prime Minister. I hope... Do you want me to have another go, Mr Speaker? Hang on a minute. Is it this thing here? I want quite well. People have decided to be quite roadie, but I can hear you now. Continue halfway through. Can you hear me, Speaker? (laughs) (laughs) And on it went, Patrick. There was then a bit of a row, wasn't there, as to whether or not it was the Prime Minister's end or or Parliament's end. I suppose it's just a reminder that when we come to judge this year in PMQs, it's not been a normal year. No, it's been... Every possible way it's imaginable for parliamentary proceedings to be disrupted by COVID, i.e. people getting COVID, people getting pinged, um, the classic Zoom pitfall of, uh, you know, people being on mute, uh, people turning up basically dressed in their pyjamas, have, <laughs> have, you know, thrown the PMQs we know, love, uh, off kilter in quite a profound way. 
And, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to laugh. That, that, that exchange is very funny. But in that sort of vignette, little vignette there, you can see why the government was so keen to uh, knock virtual proceedings on the head um, because it just is no, it is no, as particularly in the sort of, um, in the dog days of the pandemic towards the end of uh, summer 2021, you know, it's no substitute for, uh, you know, the cut and thrust of in-person proceedings. Talking of pyjamas, obviously one of the things that did happen this year, back in September, was when um, Lindsay Hoyle issued uh, rules on what MPs could and couldn't wear. No no jacket and chinos, no sportswear, large <laughs> handbags were banned. Um, uh, well, of course, you never actually uh, gave a ruling on whether or not you could take your baby into the House of Commons, a separate point altogether. But it does feel like the whole of the House of Commons has been slightly struggling with post-lockdown life decorum yeah well as we as you know as we all have but i think and, it, and it's interesting i mean i mean later on i know we're going to discuss um uh, an aspect of lindsey hall's personality that has rather more in common with his predecessor than he would perhaps like to admit but uh that's an indication of lindsey, lindsey hall's um personality and principles as speaker um, you know, one of Burko's rulings, of course, remember, uh, for most of your career in the press gallery and the early years of my career in the press gallery, you couldn't go in without wearing a tie. So you would have, to, you know, if you didn't turn up with a tie, you'd have to pick off the uh, hat stand outside the entrance to the press gallery, any number of garish kipper ties that people's dead uncles had donated. And then uh, Burko in 2017 lifted that rule uh, that's since been sort of retightened by Lindsay Hoyle. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's another sign of how a speaker... <laughs> And the personality of the speaker has, you know, can really shape our perceptions of Parliament and how business is done in the chamber. One of the other uh, impacts of coronavirus restrictions, of course, is up until the autumn, um, they couldn't have loads of people in the House of Commons. And it's been, you know, it's not an original observation, but Boris Johnson likes to perform. And when he's up again, you know, but he doesn't have that. And actually, Keir Starmer, I think, has started enjoying it in the latter parts of the year. Uh, has started enjoying himself a bit more with a bit of a swell of support behind. But let's go right the way back to January. You can hear that um, this is both uh, Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson in an empty Commons chamber. Boris Johnson really, you know, doing all of his usual catchphrases, which we'll discuss in a moment, but with no response behind. And watching the clip, he's, he's really looking around to see if there's anyone there, and there just isn't. Let's take a listen. Last night, the Home Secretary told a Conservative Party event that, and these were her words... On should we have closed our borders earlier, the answer is yes. I was an advocate, says the Home Secretary, of closing them last March. Why did the Prime Minister overrule the Home Secretary? Mr Speaker, I think it was uh, last March that the Right Honourable Gentleman, along with uh, many others, was actually saying that we didn't need uh, to close borders. But as, as usual, uh, Captain Hindsight has, has changed his tune to suit uh, events. Uh, we are facing... Uh, we are facing and it's interesting that his first few questions were about a computer glitch uh, in the Home Office, Mr Speaker, which we're trying to rectify. We're in the middle of a national pandemic, and, we're, uh, and this country is facing a very, very grave death toll. And we are doing everything we can to protect the British public, which is, I think, what he would, uh, he would expect. And that's why uh, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world. That's why we insist that you have to get a test uh, 72 hours before you, uh, before you, you fly. Uh, there must be a passenger uh, locator form, which you have to provide, Mr Speaker, and then you must quarantine uh, for 10 days or five days if you do a second, uh, a second test. And uh, it's all very, I, I'm delighted that he now praises uh, the Home Secretary. In fact, a change of tune uh, from the Right Honourable... <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, I am delighted that he's now in favour of tough 
border controls, because he wasn't last year, uh, Mr Speaker, and indeed uh, he campaigned for the leadership of the Labour Party on a manifesto to get back to free movement, Mr Speaker. Uh, yeah, I mean, two people saying, yeah, yeah, it does not a, uh, a rousing swell of support. Mate. I just, I'd forgotten about the whole uh, business of all that. that. The computer glitch, as Boris Johnson called it, um, was when the Home Office managed to lose 400,000 criminal records uh, after um, a computer glitch on the police computer system. Uh, which I think is the same system has got um, massively the replacement for it is massively overrun. But just a reminder there, uh, um, Patrick McGuire, just the sound of two people try having an argument with raised voices in an otherwise sort of empty pub. Yeah, <laughs> there's a real flatness about those exchanges, isn't there? But it has, listening to that, you know, obviously that was a that was a quirk of of circumstance that those exchanges were always going to be flat and unsatisfying, and neither of them. Particularly Boris Johnson, as you say, who is a you know more of an after dinner speaker than a prime minister. Uh, um, you know, we're, we're always going to we're always going to uh, fall flat. But it makes me wonder what's more damaging for a prime minister. Right? I, I certainly think the fact that Keir Starmer never, until very recently, until a couple of months ago, spoke in front of banks of Labour MPs cheering him on, did perhaps compound in the first half of this year the sense that his leadership was was faltering, that he was isolated, that Labour MPs weren't particularly enamoured with. Um, with what he was doing. But I wonder what's more damaging. And I guess we'll see this when MPs return in January, given the state of Boris Johnson's leadership. Is it, as was frequently the case in the later days of Theresa May's premiership, a full commons that isn't cheering you on? Or is it an empty commons? And I think actually for, for Boris Johnson, he might find that uh, it might be more damning you know, than uh, his showman act falling flat because there is no audience than having a full house. Uh, or worse, a... Uh, you know, sparsely populated benches behind him because they don't want to turn up to the Boris Johnson show anymore. Which is uh, what we saw a couple of weeks ago in particular, uh, wasn't uh, it? Where where at the height of Partygate and Owen Paterson Gate and other gates, um, the, the, yeah, there were spaces on the green benches even though there weren't any restrictions. Well, let's focus on Keir Starmer then because one of the things that we've touched on quite a lot when we do PMQs Unpacked and we sort of analyse in real time what's going on at, at PMQs is Keir Starmer's ability to hit the net on the head at the end, the, 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 the put, you know, getting the ball over the line, whatever the metaphor is that you want to use, but the, the sort of the peroration, the last question uh, to, to bring together a sort of series of thoughts and, and, and sort of flatten Boris Johnson, having just sort of uh, rather than just poking him about a bit. This was from only a couple of weeks ago. The Downing Street Christmas party story was breaking and uh, this was Keir Starmer's last question over whether or not Boris Johnson would hand over material to the police. That's so desperate, and even his own side can see it. Last week, the Prime Minister told, her, told us there was no party. Now he thinks there's something to investigate. The Justice Secretary thinks that the police don't investigate crimes from a year ago. Well, I ran the Crown Prosecution Service, and I can tell him that is total nonsense. <laughs> Mr Speaker... Uh, at Westminster Magistrates Court, right now, the CPS are prosecuting over a dozen breaches of COVID restrictions last December, including those Prime Minister who hosted parties. They're doing their job, enforcing the law set in Downing Street. Will the Prime Minister support the police and support the CPS by handing over everything the government knows about parties in Downing Street to the Metropolitan Police? Yeah. 
Mr. Speaker, of, of course we will do. Uh, we will do that, and we will get on uh, with the, the investigation by the cabinet secretary. And uh, Mr. Speaker, he continually wants to play politics uh, with this issue. We want to get on with our job of protecting this country. And so it goes on, Patrick Garvey. How many times have you heard that? Um, but it's interesting that as a last question from Keir Starmer, it doesn't quite hammer the point home. Um, like you said, he has improved a bit. He, he's he's had a bit more support from the Labour backbenchers. But do you think he's shown himself to have... Has he progressed from uh, Director of Public Prosecutions to political street fighter? The problem with that last question is that it was a question, right? If you remember, if you think back to any iconic PMQ's moment, then that final question is seldom actually a question. It is, as you say, a, a, you know, it's a peroration that ends on, um, you know, a uh, a powerful a powerful line that sums up the line of questioning. And you're not actually, you know, the problem with that is, it, 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 as so many of Keir Starmer's questions are, it is a question that demands a serious answer. I think Keir Starmer has has improved. Um, a question I hear much less from people who work with and under Keir Starmer now is. Can this guy do politics? I think we've seen a marked improvement, particularly since uh, he cleared out his office and installed people who had worked in government before under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. And I think, um, you know, I, I think the impact of those highs is already being seen. Right? We may groan at lines like "socially distanced from the truth," which is one he's been uh, trotting out recently, or the Johnson variant, which turned out to be a rather ill-advised play on on Delta in the summer, but. They're both things we remember. It's that sort of turn of phrase um, that makes a more powerful point than six forensically crafted uh, uh, questions you might hear in the High Court could ever do in terms of political messaging. And we talked about it before, but it's the, you know, it's the I, I, I lead my party, he follows his. It's the transformation from Stalin to Mr Bean. Those are the things that people remember. And ultimately, they are not uh, they are not questions. Um, as such that, you know, they're, they're sound bites which, which sort of sum up a, a, a bigger truth. Um, I tell you what, let's, uh, one of the things I want to, um, we should probably reflect on, uh, we'll, do, we'll do this uh, clip next. Uh, we should probably fess up ourselves a little bit, Patrick McGuire, because uh, I think the week before uh, they had that particular ding-dong on parties, we have to admit, because politicians have to do it too, uh, that we don't always call it right. And when the, when the story about the Downing Street Party first broke... I think it's fair to say uh, that we didn't think it had legs. Let's take a listen. Do you think this is going to land, this, this trying to go back to something that happened at a Christmas party a year ago, Patrick McGuire, when most people are thinking about their Christmas parties this year? I mean, it's not, it's not Bernard Castle, is it? Is, is, would be my one-sentence assessment of the viability of this attack. Obviously, it's all grist to the mill in terms of the attack Keir Starmer uh, wants to wants to cut through in terms of the broader message he's uh, he's trying to get across the electorate, but I don't think this is going to set many pulses racing down at the. Actually, I was going to say down at the pineapple in Kentish Town. They love this, the pineapple in Kentish Town. Keir Starmer's <laughs> local, but uh, you know, in the dog and duck in Uxbridge, um, in outer London, I can't imagine many people will uh, will do anything but shrug at this. To be frank. And actually, the thing that's come up, particularly in all the focus groups we've done for the last 18 months on uh, on Times Radio, is it, it, Keir Starmer's reputation is for harking back to old stuff, you know, Mr. Hindsight and try to turn the clock back and pick fault. I mean, this is like the worst possible example of that. But maybe 
you know, maybe it's all part of that, you know, one rule for them, one rule for everyone else no, no, and, uh, and, and attack. It's, it certainly is. It certainly is. And, um, you know, come the inquiry, uh, I'm sure... The, you know the stories like this, and uh, you know the Matt Hancock story. Um, you know his his floundering in the Department for Health while other people were banned from hugging their relatives is is of a piece with this. But but you know the merits of the um, the merits of the story and the and the truth of the story, as we've discovered um, uh, over the past year, is is that, that is not have a, doesn't have a straightforward relationship to um, public interest, and the public's interests are not always directly linked, are they? That was a bit longer than I was necessarily expecting our, our public humiliation, Paddy. In our defence, what I'm going to say is, when the story first broke, we didn't have the pictures, we didn't have the video of Allegra Stratton, we didn't have the the photo of them in the garden eating wine and cheese, and crucially, we didn't necessarily expect the government to lie about it repeatedly, um, which actually, I think, gave it legs more than anything else, and certainly seems to have given enthusiasm to... Uh, current and former members of the uh, Downing Street staff to leak more details of it. We didn't expect the Cabinet Secretary to be called in to carry out an inquiry and then him have to recuse himself after it turned out he had a party as well. But I think it's, it's important for us to, uh, if we're going to criticise politicians and not always admit where they got things wrong, on this one we got it wrong. But at the time, we're not sure it had legs. And actually, to be fair, the, at the last PMQs uh, last week, Keir Starmer didn't go particularly heavy on the parties and I spoke to somebody in his team and said, well, we don't need to. Everyone in the country knows about the parties now. So we don't. We don't want it, We can step back from it and not bang on about it like they did with wallpaper earlier in the year. Yeah, exactly. And look, um, you know, in the Dog and Duck in Oxbridge and indeed many other Dog and Ducks in united <laughs> parts of provincial Britain that I've since visited uh, on my journey home from London. Yeah, it's, you know, my brothers keep asking me whether I was at said parties. I'm <laughs> nowhere near powerful or pliant enough to be invited to any events at number 10. But God, it's all anybody is talking about. Um, but yes, I think we can be a little, we can you know, forgive ourselves a smidgen of uh, complacency there. We, we have no idea. What we're doing. But, you know, people love uh, one rule for them, one rule for everybody else. Those stories do really resonate. Yeah, I have to say, yeah, I was at, um, I was at a funeral yesterday and I think every single person I spoke to afterwards asked me about parties and was I at them? What's going to happen to Boris Johnson and all of that? So, yeah, it's definitely got cut through. Good. So, Patrick, we've uh, we've done Boris Johnson. We've done uh, Keir Starmer. What about the other man, the third the, the third person in this marriage? Uh, Lindsay Hoyle. Somebody's just uh, tweeted, Jabberwocky uh, on Twitter says, I know PMs always wriggle out of directly answering awkward questions at PMQs, but Boris Johnson doesn't even pretend to answer the question asked. Why does the speaker never make him do so? Um, but Patrick, try to explain what the role of the of the speaker actually is or should be. Well, it is to act as an impartial referee and umpire to proceedings. Uh, it, it isn't necessarily to provide a running commentary on what MPs are saying. It is to facilitate debate in a literal sense, right? Where the reason MPs address each other in that slightly convoluted my right honourable friend uh, in the third person rather than, uh, you know, the direct second person form of address is because they're actually speaking through the speaker. And obviously, I think Lindsay Hall does on occasion say to the Prime Minister, you know, it's not questions to the leader of opposition. Yeah. Watch, watch yourself. But 
he can't police his actual answers, can he? Exactly. That's the thing. And I, I, I remember when I went back to Ch when I went to Chorley for Chorley and Chorley, where Lindsay Hall's the MP, and I asked him about this, but and he basically said he'd like to have the power to rule on whether or not he's answering the question or telling even telling the truth. And he says that's just not the job. He's there to enforce the rules, and the rules are that basically, can, as long as you're saying something, you can say pretty much anything you like. But of course, if an MP after PNQs, as often happens, and in John Burko, it would then become you know, half an hour of questions to the speaker and MP can raise a point of order and say, oi, uh, Lindsay, yeah. when, uh, you know, Michael Fabricant uh, 15 minutes ago said this, uh, said this about somebody, I'm not particularly sure that was, uh, that was cricket, then Lindsay Hall can adjudicate, but, you know, he's not in the, he's not in the, he's not in the, he's not in the job of doing it in real time. Uh, Craig's just been, when you said, when you just said there was another man, I let out the Ian Blackford groan. What a relief it was the speaker. Don't worry, this is an Ian Blackford free zone. Uh, but I think it's fair to say occasionally the power that uh, Lindsay Hoyle weeds, Lee, uh, wields may have gone slightly to his head. Uh, this is Lindsay Hoyle in November. Now, let's try another issue. We know that Owen Patterson was a paid lobbyist for Randocks. We know that he sat in on a call between Randocks and the minister responsible for handling health contracts. We know that Randocks has been awarded government contracts worth almost £600 million without competition or tender. Against that backdrop, the public are concerned that taxpayers' money may have been influenced by paid lobbying. There's only one way to get to the bottom of this a full, transparent investigation. Yeah. If he votes for Labour's motion this afternoon, that investigation can start. Will he vote for it, or will he vote for another cover-up? Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to publish all the details of the Randolph's contracts, which have been investigated by the National Audit Office already. Because we were talking of cover-ups, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Speaker, uh, but we still have not heard why the Honourable General will not tell. On, 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 on. Minister, Prime Minister, sit down. Prime Minister, I'm not going to be challenged. You may be the Prime Minister of this country, but in this house, I'm in charge. And we're going to carry on. End of that. Pierre Stam. In this house, I'm in charge, he says. Um, uh, probably giving us a good excuse for you to give us your uh, your Lindsay Hall impression for one last time in 20, uh, 2021, Patrick McGuire. Before West Lancashire's favourite metalwork teacher takes his, uh, takes his enforced retirement, don't touch the lathe. I've told you once. I've told you a million times. Don't touch the lathe. Uh, very yeah. uh, so we, I, as you know, because I've shared them with you, people have emailed me in uh, this week. Uh, saying how pleased they are that "Don't Touch the Lathe" has become an extended uh, thing. It's, it's complicated, but people like it. We've we've done a lot to get Lindsay Hall to debase his ancient office in the past year. I'm sure we can get him to pose in a "Don't Touch the Lathe" t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 finally, then, Patrick McGuire, um, uh It hasn't always been Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer at the uh, dispatch box. Uh, at various points, we've seen. Uh, Angela Rayner standing in, but then uh, in the budget, uh, on budget day, uh, Keir Starmer suddenly gets struck down uh, with COVID. So, so the ghost of Christmas past uh, was plucked from obscurity and given another run out. This was uh, from November. Is Ed Miliband? Unfortunately, the leader of the opposition is isolating, so I'm calling Ed Miliband to ask the question on behalf of the opposition. <laughs> 
Thank you. Just, just, just like the old days. Just, just to say, I presume you all want to get onto the budget because all you're doing is delaying it. Ebbill about. I, I just want to reassure both sides of the house: it's one time only that I'm back. <laughs> How have the uh, how have the standings done, Patrick? As we get to the end of the year, uh, in various points this year, there's been doubts about the leaders. Um, will they both? Will Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, both still be doing PMQs at the end of 2022? Do you think, or have some of the standings shown themselves slightly more adept? Keir Starmer definitely will be. Boris Johnson's uh, long-term prognosis is as yet unclear. Um, I think Angela Rayner and Dominic Robb has been great viewing. Uh, they are chalk and cheese in terms of, you know, you have the uh, um, slightly um, constipated human rights lawyer uh, and Jim Rat and the uh, freewheeling, punchy uh, heiress to John Prescott. And uh, I've really enjoyed their uh, their encounters because Angela Rayner's role uh, is to be empowered to say things Keir Starmer wouldn't oh, say or yeah, yeah. Wouldn't or couldn't say them. Um, Ed Miliband, I enjoyed just because it was so surreal. Uh, <laughs> and also, you know, again, it shows the experience of the dispatch box counts for something. Um, yeah. Neither Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer have a huge amount of experience at the dispatch box. Obviously, Keir Starmer was Shadow Brexit Secretary and Boris Johnson was Foreign Secretary, but not as leaders of, not as leaders of their parties uh, and sort of uh, rabble-rousing, uh, rabble-rousing, uh, inspiring figures. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, if they do both make it to the end of the year. If they do make it to the end of the year, hopefully one of them will get a new catchphrase. Uh, there have been loads, whether it's the European Medicines Agency, vacillate and vaccinate, but uh, there's one in particular that we've heard so many times. Or is it just Captain Hindsight, Captain Hindsight leaping on a bandwagon and opposing a policy uh, that he supported uh, two weeks ago? No, Mr. Speaker, I think that uh, Captain Hindsight needs to adjust his retro, his retro spectroscope because he's completely wrong. Captain Hindsight is rising rapidly up the ranks and has become general indecision, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> general indecision wasn't a bad joke. Um, uh, but do you think that, the, I mean, Boris Johnson is, is not a man known to abandon a joke long after it's been flogged to death. Do you think he needs some new... Lines of attack. They both need some new lines of attack going into twenty twenty two. Patrick, uh, I would I would be very grateful if the prime minister, <laughs> or administroni, or va- va- vacillation not uh, vacillate not vaccinate ever again. Um, but you know, to make a serious point, the events of the past fortnight have shown that the prime minister can no longer will no longer be able to point to his pandemic response as a get-out-of-jail-free card in response to half-style questioning. So, yes, in a very literal sense, the Prime Minister is going to need something new and substantial to say to Keir Starmer when he's under attack. Well, we'll see what happens in 2022. PMQ's Unpacked will return on, what will it be, the January the 7th, I think? 6th or 7th? First first Wednesday back in uh, in January, and we'll pause the action to analyse in real time what happens between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, assuming they're both still in their positions come January. Anything could happen. Uh, but Patrick McGuire, thank you so much uh, for all of your pausing of the action in 2021. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
Um, uh, and in fact, Patrick will be back. You can hear Patrick on the show on Christmas Eve as he takes part in our Politics Without the Boring Quiz, the big quiz of the year, Times Radio against the Times and uh, two politicians. Uh, we won't give anything away, Patrick, but it's fair to say you show off your insane level of nerd knowledge. Wasted youth. Wasted youth. <laughs> Patrick, lovely to see you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Take care. Uh, that's Patrick. Mc- oh, I've dropped my bells now. Uh, that's uh, Patrick McGuire there uh, with PMQ's Packed Up. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from? This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.